0: Welcome to Being Human. This week, delighted to say my guest is Richard Winder. He's the Global Head of External Affairs for Handelsbanken, and he's calling in from Sweden. Good afternoon, Richard.
1: Good afternoon to you too. It's nice to speak to you.
0: Yes, it's, uh, it's fantastic. We've been able to make this happen. We connected on LinkedIn. You'd watched a couple of episodes. And when I saw a, a message from somebody from and I was delighted uh, Handelsbanken <laughs> was the, the main subject of uh, of the book Beyond Budgeting which has been a huge influence on 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 me and my career uh, and so Okay the, that's
2: the speak, connection
0: yeah yes to speak to somebody with the inside track on what it's like to work for uh, Handelsbanken was very exciting so yes I <laughs> was
1: well, very 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 flattering for us always in these situations
0: and for those who've not heard of Handel's Bank and you started in Stockholm, 1871, now a $3 billion business, 13,000 employees, six major markets um, and, and hugely successful as a bank. Um, is there anything else to say about Handel's Bank to kind of set it up for people who aren't aware of it as a, as a business?
2: Well, I guess, I guess we'll, um, you know, we'll come to what's, what's distinct about handles banking. So, you
1: know, for us, yeah, we're present in, uh, almost, uh, 20 markets in the world, but we, we qualify that by saying that there are, there are six markets which we deem to be our home markets where we do domestic mm. banking for, you know, for corporate and individual customers. And they're all sort of Northern European markets, the Scandinavian markets. Uh, then you've got Finland, uh, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, uh, Netherlands. And the UK, um, where we've been uh, growing very well, um, pretty much from a standing start over the last couple of decades. Um, so, so, so for us, obviously, those, you know, those, it's great that we're growing. It's nice to have scale and all of that. But I think, um, you know, what what drives Handelsbanken's success has very little to do with those numbers, really.
0: Right, and that's uh, actually what what will we'll get into uh, so i mean i think the story for at least for me yeah. begins with uh dr i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it is it Jan or jan wallander um, yeah. yeah, jan, yeah. jan wallander um, who yeah. <laughs> took over the bank uh what, 1970 and then in in 1972 uh decided that in order to implement the type of culture that he he saw as being necessary in Handelsbank, and he would need to abandon budgeting, and hence that becoming the the principal case study within the Beyond Budgeting book. Is is that about right?
1: About right. Um, I think uh, Jan Volander was interesting in a number of ways. Uh, Firstly, he wasn't a banker by training, um, and, and at that time it was very rare for someone who wasn't to be running a bank. Uh, He was an economist, um, and he was looking at um, sort of the the, the social and industrial economy um, for some of Sweden's um, institutions and sort of organs of government, if you like. Um, And through that, he developed a a set of ideas, um, which he then had, through contacts and through a certain amount of chance, the opportunity to put into practice, uh, not first at Handelsbank, actually, but. At a provincial bank up in the north of Sweden, which was many times smaller than Handelsbanken. Um, and that's where he started to sort of introduce and, and, and if I can put it this way, play with the ideas of, of, um, of strong decentralization. So he was very much sort of taking some of his principles from the economics field and then, uh, testing them and developing them further and learning as he went. Uh, and he did very well at that bank over, Small period of years, and um, how he came to banker's attention was that uh, he was uh, his bank was starting to eat into our business, um, you know, in a in a reasonably substantial way in that part of Sweden. So um, when we had our um, uh, our moment where we we decided we needed to find a new direction and a new CEO, uh, he was actually quite a natural person for the chairman of the board at the time to speak to. Um Yes, and so that's how he came in uh, end of sixty nine beginning of seventy um and his only caveat for taking on the role at such at what was Sweden's biggest bank at the time was that he could um carry through his ideas in full uh, because he'd already realized by that time that you couldn't do part of the model that he, he'd created it all fits together in a sort of an architecture, if you like. Um, and so over that period, 1970 through maybe 73, 74, uh, he did away with budgeting. That's true. Uh, he did away with fixed planning, which you would say is fairly tightly connected, I suppose, to budgeting. Um, and his main thinking was to devolve responsibility um and accountability um for day-to-day business decisions to the branches to those people who are closest to the marketplace and closest to the customers as well um and that they would you know they would take better decisions um they would be able to deliver a better service to customers uh, you know swift one and one where the customer can understand what's going on and they're getting sensible decisions based on them rather than, you know, a sort of um, sort of arcane systems that go on under the bonnet in head office somewhere. Um, but by doing that, I mean, you, you sort of take the consequences of that and say, well, we don't need you know, um, fixed planning. We don't need strategy departments in head office. We don't need a marketing department in head office. Um, so he got rid of those, you know, what you could disparagingly call mid- middle management uh, roles um, and um, you know radically reduce the amount of central instructions that were being uh, at that point at least were being pumped out to the branches uh, day by day. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a very swift, very radical change to um, a hundred-year-old Swedish institution.
0: Right. And did the chairman back him all the way? Did, did he get a, a clear run at it, or, or did, were there any challenges in doing that?
2: Yeah,
1: he did. Um, the, the chairman, you know, I suppose what, what's worth knowing about this is that uh, the Swedish banks, the big Swedish
2: banks, including Handelsbanken, had had a pretty tumultuous 1960s sector and, and not least, I think, for Handel's bank and uh, with credit quality, with profitability
1: concerns, um, and indeed even to some extent, um, you know, problems with the supervisors at the time as well. So, um, you know, the, the board could see that there was there needed to be a, a significant change. And having made the decision on uh, Jan Bolander and seen what he had done in this smaller provincial bank um they you know they and particularly the chairman at the time had the faith that he knew what he was doing um he had some track record and um and the and the courage i think to to back him through that and it was not an easy time i think your question alludes a little to that it wasn't an easy time there was a lot of resistance from obvious places <laughs> inside and outside of the organisation um one other thing that's quite interesting at that time—it was, it was a time of social, um, political change as well, of course—the um, early 70s—and um, the uh, unions were growing in power uh, in Sweden, and um, were with, uh, you know, with, with um, left-leaning political parties were were looking at ways that workers could get more um, say and more influence over how their companies were being run. So. This is, I think, where um, Jan Bolander's, um, you know, the, the breadth of his thinking really came in. That he was able to adapt this model that he was bringing into the bank to take account of the need to you know, to adapt to the politics of the time. And this is where what you may have heard of this this profit sharing scheme came about, uh, mm. called Octagon, very very long term uh, equal. For all staff, um, profit-sharing scheme, uh, which Jan Bolander, along with the union leader for Handelsbanken at the time, together they they pushed this idea through, uh, both facing you know both facing the unions and the, and the politicians on the one side, and also uh, the, the bank's board, the bank's owners, if you like, on the mm-hmm. other side, to say this will further strengthen our model this really this way of doing it really works for the handelsbanken and, and i think it was a great um feat a great result that uh, they managed to achieve that um when of course you can imagine the unions were looking for solidarity and a and a single
2: industry wide solution
0: right yeah that that's a, that's yes that's a, that's an interesting piece of context to this yeah yeah uh- and I want, and it's often said that these more decentralized modes of management tend to get more traction in the Nordic countries. And, and then when we think about business culture, it's important to be cognizant of the wider society, societal culture ones within because they're connected.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Sweden is, um, you know, a more left leaning, um, has a more left leaning politics. Uh, than the UK and, and certainly the US. Um, so you know there is some of that, and 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 the politics itself is informed by the the Swedish uh, history and social culture as well. Um, so so ideas. I think I think it's fair to say that it's a fertile seedbed for an idea like Handelsbanken and, and no doubt many others uh, in other companies, Scandinavian companies as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, but what always fascinates me about th- this, this scenario is the, is the paradox, where on the one hand, we might think of this as being a, a, a left-leaning mindset and yet um, very successful at capitalism, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, precisely. And, and, the, and, and Jan Blander's think thinking, and of course the, board, the board's thinking as well, was, was, was all about how to return Handel's Bank into strong, sustainable profitability. Um, you know, the, this was always um the, the goal and, and i mean that literally as well the the goal that was set by jan Volander was a profitability goal um but what's important about that is it was a relative profitability goal um so you know uh, what's important in business in reality it's to it's to over the long run do better than your competitors and then you will stay in business and you will and you will grow so he just put that into you know, into a simple goal, which was to be more profitable than the average of our competitors each year. Um, that would be our goal, our only corporate goal. And then um, he reasoned through that, you know, there are clearly two parts to profitability: there's the income part, and there's the costs part. Um, so to to get a to get a higher income um, than our competitors, we needed to have um, highly satisfied customers. And to get a lower costs is, is about working on your costs all the time. It's about cost control. So those were the two means he identified, very simple means to achieving that profitability goal. And, and everything in the business ought to be focused on uh, either increasing customer satisfaction and or reducing or improving our cost efficiency. And if you do that, then you have to have faith that uh, profitability will follow. Um, pretty
0: naturally from that. Right, and I, I thought, so there's a, there's a couple of elements to this which I find interesting. The first is that this idea, um, and I, I think it was Lars Gronsted, uh, a later CEO said this, that we don't expect people to compare their activities versus a, a predefined project or plan. We're asking them to compare their performance with something real, like i.e. the Performance of of other banks if you're operating at that level, or interestingly, the, the the performance of other branches. So that's that's an interesting facet of the culture here, right? The, the branches within Handelsbanken will compare themselves against each other and to some extent compete against each other. Is that right?
1: That's a, that's a really good way of summing it up. Um, so there are two aspects to this. There's uh, the, the, the the fact that benchmarking is. So fundamental to Handelsbankens way of doing things, uh, and on the one hand that is uh, benchmarking
2: externally. So that's our relative profitability goal. We just look at our market competitors and how they have done. We don't look at some sort of twelve months or three years hence, but instead we look at you know where we've arrived and
1: where our competitors have arrived. But then internally, that's I think where it gets particularly um, powerful. Um, We believe in you know not not uh, that that individuals uh, colleagues shouldn't have hard and fast targets of their own uh, to chase, um, but they should benchmark themselves against other comparable units in the bank and 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 typically for Handelsbank and of course this means branches. Uh, So within within one of our regional banks, for instance, we might have I don't know for example 50 branches. all of those branches can see the uh, income and expenditures in quite some detail of their own branch, of course, but also of all the other branches in their region, and they are able to, you know, <laughs> clearly compare and contrast how they are doing on the different um, developments within their operations compared to how what they consider to be their um, peer branches are doing and then what i think really really speaks to the culture of the bank is if if they um you know if they if they want to learn from that and if they want to take action based on that they simply need to pick up the phone to that branch manager and she or he will be happy to pick up the phone um and and talk about you know why it is they've done so well on reducing costs in this area or why they've improved their income so well in that area so there is a sort of spontaneous Organic learning process going on all over the organisation, which has zero sort of head office involvement um, to, to make that happen. There's no, you know, there's no encouragement. There's no, there's no telling people you have to do this, and there's no passing up a hierarchy across and then down another side and back again. This is all about, um, you know, uh, day-to-day spontaneous collaboration, and I think the know the biggest reason that that's possible is because we have these shared values and we have this common single goal so it is it is it is one of those things that one mulls over from time to time how this tension or you know possible tension between competing on the one hand because of course you know each branch in its region wants to be above average every branch wants to be above average as one of my colleagues jokes you know it's never happened yet but it tends to push the average out <laughs> but um, but at the same time there is only one real goal for the bank and that's that the bank as a whole is more profitable than its competitors so we are all one team
0: right and and, and I find that interesting in itself because because often you'll read a lot of, of the literature around how the, the importance of having a a, a clear purpose and, and meaning in our work and and seemingly the mission is is so banal and yet and yet is at the source yeah. of seemingly such sort of human flourishing and such a sort of an interesting culture it's that that to me is a is, a, is a fascinating.
1: yeah i i think about that i think i think you know that we might say i don't you know we've never put it this way and i'm sure you could have different schools of thoughts on this but one way of looking at it is you know we know what our purpose is we've known it for fifty years, and it is a commercial purpose, but where it becomes you know where it where it connects to the human in all of us is all about um, the values that we share and the culture that we have and this this is a really deep um deeply embedded culture of um trust and respect, so not just trust from the organization to it employees throughout the bank this Devolved power and this decentralization, but also the trust that goes on and respect between colleagues in very, very different parts of the bank when they do lift up the receiver to speak to, you know, a different, uh, member of staff and, and help them or to get help from them. You know, that, that is the, that, that is what the oil that makes Handels of Cogs go around, if you like. And it also makes it a really satisfying place to work, you know, stimulating place to work. Hmm.
0: And and there is one one rule, as I understand it, that they these branches compete with each other, but they but they can't take each other's customers. Is, is that right?
1: No, and that's uh, and that's uh, that's about how we've chosen to decentralise. Um, so if if we think about why we're decentralised, it, it's actually right back to this core value
2: we have, which is uh, just an innate trust. In- the individual that people want to come to work and they are capable and,
1: and want to do a good job so in that way you need to give them responsibility um, and you need to give them decision-making authority then if you or if you have that as a core value then you will naturally want to decentralize your organization and in our case being a bank still today despite digitalization The most sensible way that you can decentralise is at the geographical level. So, you know, just for decentralisation to work, for for someone to know where and what their responsibility is, you you sort of need to define a a a patch. Mm. Now that works. That also works for the customer because they know where their branch is. You know, they 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 have no
2: doubts about the relationship that they have with Handles Bank. It is, it is really the relationship they have with their local. Um, but it also, yes, it works from uh, of, of cooperating. You know, I think it would be very hard to cooperate if if
1: if one branch team were able to poach customers in another branch team's area and vice versa. I think you know, you, uh, it, it wouldn't make the job easier.
0: <laughs> right, and and then you would get the the potentially negative consequences of that if that started to creep in.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you sort of see how the different pieces, the different of the architecture sit together here. You know, I think
2: if you start yeah. to remove one strut, you know, it, it, a risk that other parts of the building start to um,
0: suffer. At least, right. And, and and talking about sticking with the branch structure, um, mm. even in the digital age, and in a sense going against the tide of a lot of the other major banks, and yet your return on equity, just just looking up before this interview. To, versus 5.6% for the euro average so more successful than your average bank uh by some margin um whilst seemingly um operating in in a completely different way than i suppose the the zeitgeist would expect you to operate yeah
1: and we and we uh, you know the way we look at it is um every bank has its has its context. It's its con- you know, pre-existing conditions, if you like, and its own culture to a certain extent as well. Um, so, you know, if uh, not that we do, but if we were appraising another bank's uh, digital strategy, we'd have to understand their uh, background context. Um, but when we come to our own, we have not only stuck with our branches, I mean that almost sounds like it's a, a pejorative way of looking at it, but we've made our branches since since 1970, really, we have made them the bank. I mean, they are their own profit center. They have the full customer responsibility. They have the full commercial responsibility in that area. If you add up all the branches of Handel's Bank, you effectively get the bank. So our expertise is, uh, you know, our customer service expertise, but also a lot of our banking and credit expertise is, is there in our branches now. In some other banks, parts of that might be true. In many other banks, that's no longer true because they've gone down a different route. So when we're considering how to um, implement um, digital development, we are looking very, very straightforwardly at how we can make more of our advantage. And that advantage is that we have great expertise at a local level. We have fantastic relationships, both between the customer and the branch and within the branch at that local level as well. And these days, at least, uh, digital advances mean that we can make those advantages available through digital channels. Um, so it's not an either-or for us. It's just how can we make our branches more available in the digital world and how can we also use digital or digitalization um, to make the, the boring, no added value processes more efficient, um, and free up time for, you know, for our branches to actually, um, develop their relationships even further and, 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 you know, increase customer satisfaction and do more profitable business. So it, we see it as a well, fundamentally a great opportunity for our particular model. And I think increasingly we're, we're seeing, you know, external commentators. Uh,
2: coming round to this view that actually digitalisation is very little without the human. Are you still there? I think I'm. I'm still
0: there. Yeah. Oh yeah. So digital is nothing without the human, right? Um, yeah. and and, and that. A bit, so, so, it, so it seems to me there's two elements to that. So you've got the individual branch structures who have this human connection with their customers, which gives them a much deeper yeah. insight when it comes to developing digital solutions. Yeah. I, I see. But I can also see it's like you've got hundreds of, of mini innovation hubs who are all their own profit centers, who are all looking to cut costs or drive uh, revenue through digital solutions, and that, that can then be shared across. You're not reliant on a single centralized your know, digital innovation team to try and work it all out
1: I mean it's 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 you'd, you'd imagine that there when we come to actually developing the infrastructure itself we have to, you know we have hmm. central um, functions to do that what's what's really different about handles is where the where the insight and the demand comes from so it isn't that you know you start off with a digital insight and strategy team somewhere in head office um, and then they're, you know, they come back to management and say, we're, we're just going to do this. And then at some point, <laughs> at some point, your branch distribution channel gets told that that's what's happening. I mean, this is, this is completely the other way around. Um, it's about being close to the customers, which our branches are listening to them. And of course, as an organization, we get an awful lot of data now, so we can see what our customers are doing, um, through, you know, various digital channels as well and, and with their finances and marrying all that, that up. And, and having a really strong evidence based confidence for what it is
2: which will improve our customer satisfaction and what it is which will give us profitable business at the end of it. And it's, it's, in the end, it, you know, it's the branches that are informing these developments. They might
1: not be the experts on what's possible in the digital realm. I mean, you know, let's be realistic but they are the ones that are the experts on what customers want um, and what direction customers are going and ultimately they're the ones that are signing off the costs because as you might know we've got this kind of inter- uh, internal marketplace within handles bank and um
2: you know and all costs and all income end at the branch
0: right yeah um yeah and it, it described as in the in the beyond budgeting book because yeah this is yeah. hundreds of profit centers as being the way that it you you can imagine yeah, that's
1: uh-huh. right that's right and then we have these you know where so we start on the default position that um things should be decentralized and then where there is a case for something an overwhelming case really for something to be centralized um, this, you know, this is driven then by the branches and by our regional banks, they say, you know, this doesn't make sense to say decentralized, we want you to do it in head office, then of course, that's, you know, that's, and I can put myself in this as well. That's our duty to serve our branches and our regions and give them what they need to do better business. And clearly one area right back since the, what, I don't know, <laughs> early mid 60s has been IT you know it would have never made sense for us to have um it development going on in our you know, what are now 800 branches but um but but it's where the demand comes from the counts.
0: right yeah i see that and and this parallels with some of the other case studies of these highly empowered cultures where um you have uh i'm just thinking of bertsog i don't know if you've come across them the the nursing company
1: yeah, I've heard heard a little um, bit about
0: them. Yeah, they sound yeah. To, yeah. yeah, who are mentioned in Frederick Llew's book, but similar idea mm. of, of decentralised groups in this case, units of nurses uh, rather than bank branches. Um, but the, the we each has a profit centre, but then then a, a demand on on central in terms of a pull from central for resources as opposed to yeah. the push from the centre. Yes, Something like that.
2: That
1: sounds very, very, very much how it works here. And, and this internal marketplace I mentioned, you know, that, that helps just to focus minds at all times on, on that fact. Um, and, you know, a couple of times a year, at least the representatives from our branches will meet with representatives or heads, if you like, from this or that central department, talk through the developments that are going on there, talk through the costs that are involved and really try to sort of scrutinize. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a collegiate way, but nevertheless uh whether whether these costs are you know good, i.e. whether they're all going to lead to what is required from the branches, and also to identify you know are there new things that that department should be doing that they've you know partly identified a need, and you know here's a, here's an opportunity to another opportunity to talk about that. So, so it is a sort of constant cycle of, um, you know, if you put it from the head office's point of view, it's keeping us honest. Really, it's making sure that we're always thinking about why we're doing the things we're doing, um, you know. And if we can't say that it's there to support either directly or indirectly uh, our branches and 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 through them the customer, then
2: we probably shouldn't be doing it. Mm. Yeah, I
0: don't know that I can see that. Is there a role? In the central in the central function as a, as a kind of a bailout role, if so, if a, if a particular branch is 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 really struggling, is is there some kind of insurance from the centre, or do you just there just, is uh, there no, the- I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, there are. You know,
1: I'll start by saying we're a bank, so of course we're we're pretty risk averse. And I think we're probably more risk-averse than most, actually. Um, But we have what we think of as lines of defense. And, you know, our first line of defense, of course, is our branches. I mean, you know, for reasons we've discussed already. Um, But then on an ongoing basis, this isn't a sort of bailout. It's not a last resort thing. This is a, you know, week in, week out. Um, The branches have their regional support functions. So in core banking, they have, you know, they have uh, credit um, analysts in the regional bank who they can uh, speak to, um, and discuss particular cases or questions they have just to get a, you know, a founding board or a different input, or if it's something particularly difficult to work through, they can get additional resources to do that. Uh, um, so that's on a business as usual level, if you like. Um, but it, but what, if you take credit, for instance, what's important is that the um the initiation and the final sign off of any credit is is with is with the branch and with um the branch manager ultimately, um whereas in many other institutions you know that that, that sign up is happening way further back in their organization uh so so, so you have that you know second line of defense you like the the regions and you have a you, know, you have a central credit function if there's anything that's you know such a big question or an issue that uh, it needs uh, raising there uh, and then we as any bank would you know we have our we have our risk functions and our audit functions and, and they you know they are very <laughs> very real and uh active parts of the organization to make sure that we're not you
2: know accidentally um letting in um risk that we you know we're not comfortable with uh
1: so yeah we have we have a, a very sophisticated Risk control system, but still, you know, you would say the vast majority, a really vast majority of uh, credit decisions, i.e., the biggest part of banking, uh, are made locally, um, and that's that's fundamentally different
0: to most banks these days. Right, and I I, I read was it 50% of employees have lending authority.
2: Yeah, um,
1: might even be a bit higher than that. Least, I don't have the stat on me, but um, but yeah, I mean, bear in mind that you know we have um, over a thousand people working in IT, and we have you know, thousands or so of people working in you know, nothing, nothing directly to do with core banking um, activities. Then you know that's 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 a higher proportion still when it comes to actual core business.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, just by numerically, um, you know, you're, you're, you're talking over 90% of uh, lending decisions that are taken locally, either purely by the branch or between the branch and, and their regional bank. Um, mm. which is extreme, you know, extremely high, but, um, the wisdom of that is borne out not only in the profitability of the bank, but connected to that, I suppose, uh, in the credit quality, um, that we show. Know, quarter by quarter, where we we have
2: very very low um, and a consistent um, loan losses uh, in the yeah. organisation,
0: and and you have the highest highest credit rating of the European banks.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We we for many years now had um, uh, amongst the highest in the world. In fact, um, yeah, at any given time we might be the highest or one of the top three. From from the major credit rating agencies, um, yeah, due to our capital strength and our, as I say, the consistency of our risk profile, um, liquidity as well. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the benefits of, um, of this long-term view, the, the second of our core values alongside this trust in the individual. We have this long-term view, um, which guides our decisions. It, it does mean that we you know we have created this stability and this dependability which then comes through in how the you know well like how customers view us that's that's the most important thing um, how our employees feel about working at the bank the security that they feel in doing their jobs and then of course how uh, investors and the and the wider capital markets feel about either um, either you know, putting equity into the bank or, or, you know, or, um, or bonds. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great benefit to us to, to work in a, in this kind of long term sustained way, but it, it is because we believe fundamentally that's the best way to run a business. We we don't do it to to achieve high credit rating.
0: <laughs> right yeah yeah i can i can see that and it seems like you you have this marrying a very high trust in individuals and a great deal of autonomy on the front line but with yeah. um very uh, open systems so a lot of transparency and the, the ability yeah. of um central functions or regional functions to monitor um, and yeah. and exactly. suggest remedies but with so, so that's that's what's interesting here you've got t- two two things happen it's not comp- it's not uh it's not total autonomy without any accountability or any visibility of what you're doing it's high visibility and autonomy at the same time
1: absolutely absolutely that that's that's you know that is the sort of the way of boiling it down i think in terms of how it how it feels to work here okay, you, you know you feel a great deal of freedom in what you're doing
0: so it seems to me you've got this really interesting marrying of a great deal of autonomy at the front line coupled with a very high degree of transparency across the whole business.
2: Yeah,
1: I think that's a, that's, that's a good way of boiling it down and you know it, it, how it feels I suppose working here is that you you, you feel a great deal of freedom in in the day-to-day work that you're doing and, and a, a confidence in the area that you you know that you you have um responsibility for but at the same time you know you, you feel an exposure uh, and accountability so it's it's it, it's a i put it like this it's a, a very grown-up business to work in um you know everyone uh, feels or knows that they need to rise to their responsibility um and you know we have these principles in handles banking that um you know managers should not interfere they shouldn't be trying to micromanage and they Wherever they can avoid it, they should avoid taking decisions for for their employees, um, but they should act as coaches, both um, you know in the in the in the professional work that that employee is doing and and also to help them develop their careers around the bank and their experience around the bank and ultimately their value to the bank, which then you know comes through in the reward to the individual
0: hmm. and how has that felt for you i mean personally if you if you come yep. from I, I suppose you might say a more traditional corporate culture before Handelsbank and what was your transition into this culture
1: yeah I well I, I worked with um, a number of uh, more uh, orthodox if you like or these days more orthodox um, financial companies, uh, albeit the, the organization I worked for uh, the consultancy I worked for was actually you know uh, and, and still is today a, a pretty uh, enlightened um, an empowering place to work, but, um, but you know, I could very, very quickly see compared to some of those large financials I'd worked for before just how different this was. Um, and even then, even despite that, I think there's, there's that period of the first three months, maybe six months, um, where, you, you know, you're expecting a, a hand to appear out of somewhere and,
2: <laughs>
1: and say, no, you know, sort of, you know, push you in a different direction and and, and correct what you're doing. And it's it's quite, you know, it's really quite uh, liberating, but at the same time sobering um, to realize that, no, that responsibility really is mine. And, you know, if this succeeds or if this fails, it's on me. And then, of course, you know that you have all the support you need from whoever you need it from in the organization. Um, But ultimately, it's your decision and it's your responsibility.
2: It feels good. It, right, it feels good, even without <laughs> the banker bonus. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us come well.
1: Clearly, none of us come to like and for the banker bonus. Um, but also, you know, I think again, uh, open eyed about this. If you were to try to uh, do a do some sort of valuation of a bonus, that's the easy bit. Compared to the sense of fulfilment. Uh, the sense of uh, ownership, in many ways, uh, that you feel in this organisation, I, I think, I think the value of the bonus kind of wilts into insignificance. And then, of course, I, I will and must say that you know we, we pay market rates. We we we're part of respecting our employees and each other. Is that you know we 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 respect their value to the organisation. We're utterly a people business, even more so than you know many most service companies i would say so um yeah we you know we 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 don't underpay our staff but we don't believe that bonuses are a good route uh, and the targets that would need to us as- attached to those bonuses are, are a good route to achieving cooperation internally and uh, adaptability and externally uh, the most satisfied customers who know that um you know their branches only have their interests at heart
0: and, and that was central, I think, to, to Jan's philosophy, this idea of motivations based on self-satisfaction, wasn't it? That was his belief about humans. That... That's
1: right. That's, yeah, that's a really good observation. He's, um, you know, he effectively, people don't need any external motivating. They are motivated. Uh, they need the conditions to put that natural motivation, you know, to make it kinetic, if you like, <laughs> to turn it into good work. Um, so they need the, the freedom of action, um, the sense of uh, direction, you know, what are we aiming to achieve here, and why are we aiming to achieve that. Um, and and
2: they need to know that there's a the support and security there, where they need it.
0: And actually that's been borne out by, yeah, th- th- there's, there's reasonably good science now around this, that for, for more complex challenges, and um, intrinsic motivation wins over extrinsic motivation. And in fact, you can have adverse performance when you extrins- extrinsically motivate people for complex problems. And it seems like running a bank is, is complex and making men decisions is mm. complex. And so it, it's consistent with some of the, the, the science now around, around this, which I also I find interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it is, it is to hear that. I think, um, you know, from the nearly 50 years of working this way, um, you know, and the thousands of well, I suppose tens of thousands of employees who've, who've worked in this way and, um, you know,
2: felt, felt the culture, if you like, and felt the benefits. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's apparent and self-evident.
0: Right. And who, who are the people who, who don't, I mean, are there individuals who, who taste this culture and, and, and it doesn't work out? And is there a common theme amongst those for whom this doesn't work?
2: Um yes, there are those. Um it is
1: clearly a, a you know a very small minority of people that, that we employ. Um and part of the reason for that is because we have a a, a a fairly um intensive recruitment process. We're recruiting on values. So of course we look at the C V to check that these people have the <laughs> requisite skills. Um, and experience, but but really, 95% of what we're doing in a you in know a, in a recruitment is is about making sure that that person um, feels harmony with the values of Handelsbank and 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 that we feel you know comfortable with that person that they'll be able to take responsibility. So we're we're doing our own due diligence. The the the, the candidate is doing their due diligence on ours, and we make that a fairly lengthy process of meeting. A number of people in the organisation in different places, uh, so that's a great way of filtering to those who do share the values. Um, but nevertheless, you know, you you find from time to time uh, after a while, um, someone simply isn't playing in tune with the rest of the orchestra, and um, you know you you know you try you can try coaching. We obviously always do that anyway to see if it maybe is the role rather than the person. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, we have to part ways. Um, and normally in that situation, it's a very comfortable, um, uh, discussion because the person themselves have realized that they don't, they don't feel, um, so comfortable, you know, and it might well be true. It might well be that they don't feel comfortable with that level of sort of exposure and responsibility and they would rather work in a way that they're more familiar with maybe, um, in a, in a sort of managed environment.
2: Um, and of course, you know, we, we <laughs> we have nothing against that if that's how somebody is right yeah
0: yeah and um and how do you how do you describe it you know if you have to give a a summary to sort of friends or or others you know describe it to others would you say the culture
1: uh, the culture i think i just bring it down to the uh, the trust and respect that is really apparent from day to day um, you know when you have a new problem arising and you're thinking through who I need to talk to you simply don't have that um, moments pause to think oh I better not call that person or I'm not sure what that department's like I won't, I won't I won't walk in there um, you expect and you get um, collaboration you expect and you get respect Whoever you are in the organisation, because there is that fundamental sense that everybody is playing an important role, and there is only one corporate goal, so we're all heading in the same direction as well. So it's that openness, it's that trust, it's that respect and that cooperation. They pretty much sum up how it is to work at Handlesmaker.
0: Right. Right, and if somebody's listening to this, and the first thing to say is I, is I get that I, to, to affect large Scale cultural change, which clearly happened in whatever it was, 1972, uh, initially with Handelsbank, and it requires support, full support from the top, which is interesting, and that's exactly what again Frederick Laloux says in his his book Reinventing Organizations that you can't achieve these type these radical, to our eyes I suppose, radical culture shifts without full support all the way up. Um, but for somebody listening to this who's maybe a, a manager in a tradition, you know, a bank with a traditional culture, let's say, or an orthodox culture, and wants to do something to change the culture around them, would you, what would, what would be the advice you would give to that individual in, within their, within their context? Oh,
1: well, I was a little loath to get of advice because I think we're fortunate enough to find a, a, a complete model that works for us, you know, through the cycle. Um but i I suppose what I'd say is you know the best conditions to effect change, which do happen from time to time for businesses, um is some kind of crisis, um so some kind of you know sustained negative situation because you're focusing minds and you're focusing on change for a start, and then I think you know it 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 really is the blood, sweat, and tears of of the of the leader there. Um and the charisma of that person. Um I mean they sort of need the vision and they need the charisma to take people with them. Um and I think that's you know one thing that uh Jan Verlander had to his to his credit as well. Um and, and then stamina. <laughs> <Crikey>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that resonates. Uh, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know we're, we're one minute over time, so uh, I really appreciate the, the time you've given to this call. Uh, <laughs> I I really hope that people get some inspiration from this, uh, you know, to to hear hear what it's like to work in one of these highly empowered cultures. Uh, I, I've certainly got a lot from it. Well, thank you for uh,
1: giving me the time to talk about Hammarbanken.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed, and enjoy the rest of your your day in Sweden and. Uh, Okay. Awesome. Thank you. All of us, Thank Richard. You, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Bye bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.